0: Well, welcome everybody welcome back to the nefesh podcast this is episode 16. i am thrilled to have alex delgado here with me sharing his story i i've known alex for a few years um, an older student and i say that only to say this is somebody who's very mature and um, this isn't you know a fresh out of high school student but just an incredible incredible man and alex i i've I, I every time I interact with you lately, I find out something new and I'm just blown away and, and incredibly impressed about what you've done and what God has done in your life. So thanks for being on. And um, now you're from Chicago. I knew you had a thick accent, but I didn't know where it was from. You're from Chicago, right?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: And I- is that a white socks cap that you're wearing?
1: No, it's a fear of God cap. Okay. All but, right. yeah, I, I do root for the Cubs more than the socks, but I, I don't dislike the (laughs) sock bagel's all good with me all right so
0: you've um and even just recently just found out what a difficult childhood and life that you've had and overcome so much you have four kids is that right three girls and one boy
1: yes and
0: that's a and that's a whole lot of estrogen right and they're all the girls are under what age
1: uh, four and under. <laughs> yeah. You're going to hear it in here throughout here. Cause we're it's about power hour right now. We do not thrive in our home from five to seven. We survive. <laughs> so it is power hour. I have a four-year-old named Havana who's large and in charge personality. She's probably the most like her daddy. Wow. Then a, about to be two-year-old named Sayla. She is, uh, Witty but kind of uh, introverted, okay. uh, and and doesn't like her space being taken, and she lets you yes. know that. And <laughs> then we have a newborn who's uh, was just born in June, so she's yes. uh, about four months. Uh, her name is Zoe. Oh,
0: yeah. and I I know that you were having to potentially rush from graduation to yeah. get to the hospital, yeah. but it worked out.
1: Uh, Zoe came a little
0: bit later let her dad graduate that was nice of her yeah and then you've got a son right
1: 15 year old boy named Luke he's a freshman in high school uh, who we love well please plays baseball yeah wonderful
0: well so and uh, let me just throw this out there before we dive into your story you just completed your second Ironman for those who don't know what that is Um, Let me just preface this by saying I will never do one. I have no desire to do one. I just want to let everybody know. I just don't even ask. I will not. I just will not. But share what an Ironman is for those who don't know what that is.
1: Yeah, It it is uh, an endurance sport of a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, followed by a full 26.2 mile marathon, totaling 140.6 miles and you have 17 hours. In
0: one day, in yeah. seventeen in hours.
1: Seventeen hours. If if you are seventeen hours and one second, you are not an Ironman. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And
0: I think did you did you recently go on the 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 podcast of the guy who calls out as you cross the finish line? Yeah. He says, you know, Alex Delgado, you are an Ironman. Is that what it's like?
1: It, yeah. His name is Mike Riley, and he actually retires this year. He's got about two races left. Wow. uh and after 39 years as the voice of Iron Man traveled the world uh people dream of hearing Mike Riley call them an Iron Man and I found myself on his podcast Aww. sharing what God's done in my life of all That things. is so it was cool. it was such a dream come true because this last time you know he, there's 4000 athletes in California so wow. he's just reading off so-and-so from Fresno or so-and-so from uh, Atlanta or so-and-so from Spain, you are an Ironman. Well, he's, he said, Alexander Delgado. Oh, wait, Alex Delgado, you are an <laughs> Ironman. Great job, brother. And I got it all Aww. off the So it was personal because yeah. he met my wife. Aww. He gave me a big hug. Uh, he made me feel real special this last weekend. Yeah.
0: Well, and truly, your life is is a testimony of God's grace, but also of your own perseverance. And I think to take nothing away from either God or you, the perseverance that you have, that you have had doing two Ironmans, but, but life and, and, and your family and your spiritual formation and growth. um, It is truly incredible. And so why don't you take us back, um, you know, from, from, kind of early on what life was like for you. Um, now you are uh, Cuban, is that right? From Cuba? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Take yeah. us back and and kind of share what, what your story has been.
1: Yeah. So I was born in Cuba. I was not born in America. I was born in Cuba. Uh, and we came to this country when I was six months old. So I was born in 1979. In wow. Jimmy Carter had opened up mario harbor and allowed cubans to come it was legal for us to come at the time and um you know backtracking a little more my mother was separated from her mom for 18 years Wow! so the plan was that my grandmother and mother would come together well they got their paperwork mixed up at the government offices you know my family owned shoe factories and shoe stores in cuba really and overnight communism came in and took it away from them. My grandfather literally left the Pueblo where we live was, was called Manzanillo in the, in the village of Oriente. Very successful man had a driver. I mean, everything you could want land, success left for a meeting to go to Havana and came back. And there was a sign on his shoe factory that this no longer belongs to you. And now belongs to the government. And we will allow you to be a manager if you'd like. Wow. Lost his mind, uh, just really struggled with that. So my family immediately, if you weren't for the Castro regime, you were against. And my grandmother was a teacher and she uh, had filled out for a passport and they were going to exile her. So she was able to get out. But my mom was supposed to leave the next morning. Well, my my biological grandfather, who I never met, uh, didn't allow that to happen. And he, he didn't
0: allow your mom to leave.
1: Oh, no. so here's my mom, 18 years without her mother while her mom is, it might've been like 12 years, uh, was in America. So, uh, wow. I was born and six months later, my mom came on a, a boat. My cousin, Alex, whose father is the one who started to bring our family to America said, I'm going to go finish what my father started. And at 17 years old, he drove his boat to come pick up me, my mom, my father, and my great aunt from Cuba. He had paid money for us to be released. And then we were on a boat. And at six months old, you know, I came to America with no recollection of Cuba. Funny fact, I was told that I was the only one on the boat who didn't throw up. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it was choppy seas. <laughs> so, you are seaworthy. I mean, yes, you could have had yes. a
0: career on the ocean. Right.
1: <laughs> so at uh, now, because my grandmother was already in Chicago, they had left Miami because of the corruption and the drug violence that was in Chicago or in Miami at the time. It was like the age of the cocaine cowboys. Now, my cousin Alex, his father was assassinated in Columbia.
0: Oh, my and, goodness. Uh,
1: the same boat that brought me to this country was caught with 800 kilos of cocaine on it later on. And that was my cousin uh, who would later go uh, in hiding and live in Spain for eight years until he was eventually caught on a traffic violation of all things, wow. had a new family, had everything. And then he would be extradited. Uh, under, the United States. Yeah. Under the, the Nancy Reagan, just say no policy, which really gave him a, a big sentence. So he would do 18 and a half years of a 20 year sentence. Oh my um, goodness. In federal prison in in Miami. Oh,
0: So he, he kind of got caught up in what was going on in Miami at that yes. time, but the your mom and dad and you, you had moved to Chicago.
1: We were in Miami for one day uh, because my grandmother was already in Chicago because of that years of separation. So we would go to live with my grandmother and then the grandfather that I know, um, it was the only one that raised me. We would go live with them in Chicago. And then, uh, that's where I grew up in Chicago and, you know, came here with nothing. Uh, my grandfather worked, uh, three jobs to keep food on the table, ended up becoming a general foreman of Zenith. And we grew up uh, in a fairly okay neighborhood until across the street moved in the biggest gang in Chicago at the time.
0: Well now, and at that time, were Cubans accepted in society? No,
1: absolutely not. Spit on, uh, they would be called very racial names Mm -hmm. uh, because they couldn't speak the language. Um, in that neighborhood where I lived in, it was a a little easier, but there was a big Italian presence in, in, around the communities that we grew up in and, um, and predominantly a huge Mexican also presence was coming in. And that's where the gangs really started And Chicago was like the origination of gangs in in the city of Chicago
0: with ethnic, ethnic. divides yes. so Italians yes. and Mexicans and yes. Cubans and, and
1: Irish wow. and uh Chicago is extremely segregated. I mean wow. it was very 1950s mentality. You knew what type of neighborhood you were in. I mean there's Chinatown, there's Little Italy. Mm. You know that that's the city we we were in the suburbs and everyone really kind of stuck to their own back then and there wasn't a high cuban population so i didn't
0: i was wondering yeah, yeah so yeah. how who did you stick i mean it was just the few cubans that were there yeah
1: I, I we actually ended up knowing some other cubans but really just having friends and you know really having a lack of identity i mean i remember being a little kid having an italian jacket because all my friends had italian yeah. jackets so i'd like beg my mom for this cool jacket but uh, if you think of the root of that, it's just trying to fit in mm. and really not knowing who you are. And because of the violence that moved into that neighborhood at four years old, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was driving my tricycle down the street and I hear screeching tires and and I, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a big blue Cadillac convertible with white leather interior. And the top was down and it was a gentleman with blonde hair driving. And I look and there's a cinder block flying through the air and smacks him in the back of the head. His whole head explodes with blood. Even the windshield gets hit. And I don't know if another brick hit it, but then his head hits the, literally falls on the steering wheel. And all you hear is "Eh," and then he crashes into the curb. And I'm on my tricycle, big wheel, and I froze to death. And in that moment, at four years old, I had my first panic attack.
0: Oh my God. could not
1: move from the fear that crippled me. And I remember turning around and looking to my mom who is down the block and she's screaming, no, 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 don't come home. And then pop, 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 pop. They start shooting across the way. And I remember pulling in to like a gangway in between two apartments or houses in Chicago. They're like this wide and, and concrete rolls through them, pulling in there and just being froze. I, I, oh, I couldn't goodness. cry, just shaking. And then my mom couldn't come. So I don't know how much time by the time she finally came and grabbed me and put her arms around me, which was about a half a block. And I remember mm-hmm. in that moment, I as I've unpacked this throughout my life and really met the Lord, which we'll get to later on, um, that was the moment that fear entered my life. Mm. The trauma from that created such a fight or flight yeah. identity inside of me that I would shut down wow. and panic would overtake me. I, I remember them starting to shoot. So what would happen is they would come and use our backyard as like, uh, almost blocking them to shoot across the street. And then the gang across the street would have to shoot to our backyard. And my mom would start screaming at the top of her lungs and then hide me under the bed. And then she'd be screaming. So these traumatic experiences were teaching me how to run how to um, be moved emotionally, how to mm. react um, in, in a non-healthy way. Yeah. And, and the trauma of, you know, I have a four-year-old now. Right. That is not normal, but no. that was my normal. So growing up in that type of environment, and that didn't last forever. And then we moved out of that neighborhood and then moved really to an all-Italian neighborhood where things were a little more organized. And so I didn't deal with the violence that I saw, but there was still a lot of violence, a lot of segregation, a lot of different things. And the the neighborhood that I grew up in was really like a tough neighborhood where people were known for a lot of fighting, a lot of violence, uh, almost a reputation. Wow, you're from that neighborhood. And I, you know, remember being a kid and just being fearful inside. Mm. You know, my biggest fear growing up was being beaten to death. Wow. At an early age, I would be at parties and being freaked out. I'm going to get hit over the head with a brick or a bat Mm. or all this like inner fear. And right around eight or nine years old at a family party, I I can remember it like it was yesterday. I I remember sipping alcohol. Wow. Thinking, oh my gosh, I have found the answer to life. Wow! I was just instantly Are you serious? joyful, uh, no fear. So for the first time in my life, I could overcome fear quickly and, wow. and, and I could be the life of the party. And then I remember having friends. That like to drink, and all their older brothers drink, and in the neighborhood I grew up in, it's like you drink for everything. Somebody got married, you drink. Someone died, you drink. Uh, funeral, wedding, whatever it is, you're drinking. Holiday, uh, Super Bowl, Bears play. It just <laughs> if, if it's two p.m., you just drinking. drink. Yeah, it was it was a very blue collar neighborhood, mm. um, and I remember just. Finding my best friend in alcohol. It was like oh. my antidote to fear. So if I walked in and I was afraid to like dance at a party, I could drink and then I could dance. Afraid to maybe oh. talk to a girl. Now I can talk to a girl. Everything. But what I did not know is that your daily decisions determine your destiny. Hmm. And my identity was being formed in a substance. Yeah. And I had no idea. Hmm. I thought I was just having fun. And I would go through my entire high school like that, the life of the party, bigger than life personality when you're drinking, the next day kind of quiet guy, and yeah. didn't understand that I was creating a monster that I would not be able to tame.
0: Well, so. and you you probably didn't even have an idea of who you were, who what no. your real personality was.
1: No, and neither did anybody else. So mm. people only knew me as this fun, outgoing, loud kind of charismatic guy, but I really could only be like that drinking. I'd wake up a scared, mm-hmm. insecure, worried boy, and then would have to continue the vicious cycle and would have to drink just to be able to be around people and didn't understand I was creating my own prison. Yeah. And then at 17 years old, I would graduate high school. And I still had in me instilled that we didn't come to this country to fail. We came here to succeed. My family jumped on a boat and left everything so that I can have a better life. And they never put this pressure on me, but I felt like I had to be successful. I had to be this bigger than life, you know. And for me, the definition of success equaled money, wow. equaled power, equaled uh, women, equaled mm-hmm. being able to drink and travel the world, and the the material things that I could gain. Mm-hmm. Had a very small view of life. And uh, it was all about how much I can obtain and not about how much I could give at all. Oh. Um, so at and 17- was,
0: that, was that the culture of your family as well?
1: No, my family culture was all about family. Okay. yeah, We were about family. Uh, they were, you know, Cubans are all kind of loud dressers, but uh, all about family. Everything revolved around family. There was no God. It was about family. Hmm. that we provide for our family. The most important thing in life is family. A lot of good family values apart from Christ. It was more or less, you know, we came to this country. Now we got to make it and we need right. to, to survive. Right. And, and that, you know, being my dad left at a very early age, never hmm. had intera- any interaction with him. You know, no birthday calls, nothing. Mom had to play both roles. And mom did an amazing job of letting me know I was loved, that I was the most important thing in her life. And everything she did was to provide for me. So, and then my grandfather and my, and my grandmother and I have an uncle who's very close in age. He's seven years older than me. And we all grew up in a house together. Wow. So, you know, wanting to prove that I was worthy of value of bringing to this country that, I, you know, you didn't just come here, for me to live off the land, but I can make something of myself. Yeah. I, I, you know, I drank so much in high school. I didn't even take an SAT test to go to college. I was drunk. I, I slept in, <laughs> didn't even take it. You know, I would go to the bar, you know, 15 years old, I'm getting dropped off straight at school from being out all night partying literally no. as a senior. I don't know how many times like on holidays where we, we didn't have the day off at school, but other people did. We'd go out on a Sunday night. And my buddy dropped me off at school at seven a.m. I'd stinking like alcohol and cigarettes. Been up drinking, and partying all night, and, and yet go- you
0: managed to graduate, right? <laughs> yeah, you yeah, had to. Be, you had to be pretty
1: smart to be well, able to do that. Yeah, or a really good cheater, but <laughs> 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 I, I I wouldn't say smart. Uh, I would say uh, you know hustler is probably a good word for it. I knew I knew how to do the bare minimum to get past what I needed to. Uh, I definitely wasn't a studious person, never planned on going to college. Um, kind of went to a city college and figured, oh man, this isn't for me. And then in the neighborhood I lived in, you either worked for the village, you know, blue collar, fireman, blue collar, or some guys worked downtown at the stock market or you sold drugs. Uh, wow. So I was not a very good drug dealer. I would do all the drugs, and that fear—that <laughs> fear—I
0: just you—you you basically used all the product. I mean, yeah,
1: <laughs> or just the crippling fear yeah. that I always had of now I'm going to go to prison and get killed in prison. <laughs> I can't do this, you know. So oh. I'd drink and I'd probably do all the drugs anyway. So <laughs> it what wasn't really good for me. Uh, but then there was a few that worked downtown at the stock market. Okay. And I was like, I could do that. You know, uh, I don't want to dig a ditch. You know, I never had a dad growing up, so I don't know anything about manual labor or mechanics wow. or none of that. Yeah. You know, mom showed me how to shop. So I know how to do that. <laughs> uh, so, um, at 17 years old, I graduated high school and I got a job through a friend who had, uh, worked down there and his cousin worked down there at the Chicago mercantile exchange. Wow. And I walked on to the trading floor and heard the voices of open outcry and these what seemed like Greek gods jumping in the air, screaming, buy sold, buy sold!" Like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, if you've ever yeah. seen the movie. Yeah. That environment. And I said, wow. this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. 17,
0: I, you walk yeah. in there and you're seeing mayhem, but but power and money and you're like yes. that's it.
1: That that's right there. I'm seeing wow. twenty-something year olds making a hundred to two hundred thousand in a day. Wow. You know, I'm seeing Super Bowl pools that are worth million. I uh, uh, I think wow. it was like six hundred thousand dollars or some one winner. It was insane amount wow. of money. People just gambling on anything. Uh, wow. you know, ten thousand on a football game. These guys would go drink and then end up in Vegas for the weekend and come back. Spent half a million in Vegas. I don't know what, but I just wow. hear these stories and they driving the cars and they have the jewelry and they uh, they look bigger than life. Yeah. And I was like, man, that's why I was created. Mm. I, I, that's what I want to do. And they taught me how to work hard, play harder. Wow. And I, was, uh, I then already had been dabbling with cocaine and there was no shortage of cocaine down there, no shortage of pills. And I would dive in with everything I have doing wow. uh, drinking ridiculous amounts. And then I would begin to travel and I'd go to New York and I'd go to Cancun and you know, I'm spending everything I'm making. But by the time I was 18, I was making more money than anybody in my house. You Are know, you serious? Yeah, this was blue collar. You know, they never brought in a lot of money. They just saved it and lived frugal. I mean, they had more money than me because every penny I made, I spent. I mean, it yeah. couldn't come in fast enough. Every, it was just check to check. Uh, because I mean, you might as well work at McDonald's because you look check to check no matter what. You know, I make ten thousand in a month. It's gone. There's wow. nothing that I would keep, and the, the vicious cycle mm. would create. By the time I was twenty two years old, I would enter my first rehab. Wow. Uh, when I entered rehab, it was the probably the lowest point of my life because I felt like I had a scarlet letter on my head that said loser. Mm -hmm. You are now a loser because everybody I know drink, there was nobody who didn't drink, not one soul that I knew that actually did not drink. All my friends, their friends, every girl I knew, every relationship I had was consumed around drinking and everyone Mm -hmm. I knew could drink and be normal the next day, but I Mm -hmm. would have to wake up and keep drinking. Wow. And this 10 year period, would be full, I don't have time to tell you, the high highs and low lows. I would live in private islands in Miami Beach and, and, and across from where like Puff Daddy lived. I mean, really? Yeah, and yeah. literally private islands, corner units, and then I'd get a DUI, lose all that, and be sleeping <laughs> on someone's couches the next month. And, and then- that would- I mean, it would. It goes. It vicious. went
0: from that extreme.
1: I moved to Florida. I'm 22 years old. I moved to Florida within a month. I'm making six figures a year selling furniture. I'm down. Oh I'm God. down there for the real estate boom, and people are just coming in like, "I need furniture," and I work for this company. I'm I literally made like fifteen thousand in a month selling wow. furniture, and I'm broke. I'm spending every single dollar that comes in at strip clubs doing uh godless things just wow. completely empty wow. and i and I, if i wanted a rolex i'd get a rolex and then i'd pawn the rolex and then a bmw and then that would get repoed and and just this vicious if i think if i could just get this it'll fulfill me but the thing that was happening i was getting everything i thought i wanted and nothing can fulfill me yeah. and my addiction would just go deeper and deeper and wow. and, and and i would have enough must or courage to like put it aside for a little bit this sleeping giant trying to kill me and work hard and then it would all crumble it was like every two years I would hit rock bottom and be pretty much homeless or just you know uh in and out of uh 5150s I mean my mom would just send this kid is nuts uh no one and, and that's a
0: 5150 is that a suicide yeah suicide rock? completely is that
1: me. yeah yeah, would that
0: definitely. be what it came to that there were moments you would try to take your oh, life? Oh yeah,
1: I would cut myself. I, I remember oh. being outside of a nightclub, stabbing myself with a bottle, and like oh dressed gosh. really nice too. And people are like, "What's happening?" Like he's got to be on drugs, and I just completely just snapped mm-hmm. uh, to my mind. Where if I would have kept going, there's no I, no doubt I probably would have crossed into schizophrenia. The wow. demonic attack on my soul. And the hopelessness, that's what it really bogged down to is that my hope was in something that I could not obtain. And even if I did obtain that, I could not break this vicious cycle. I could not stop drinking. I would try everything under the sun, A-A-N-A, Buddha, Allah, I would have tried anything in the world, meditation, anything, and nothing could break this one time I put nine months together and I signed up for the Chicago marathon and I was about five weeks from the marathon and blew my foot out and relapsed and just went into wow. the darkest place of my life. And that's kind of where I fell in love with endurance sports was in that little moment. But the, the end would just crush me. After this vicious cycle, I took 50 Norco in at one shot. Oh, and, my gosh. And I, I, I hoped that it would kill me. I jumped on a plane with the only money that I had in my pocket and and got a one way ticket thinking I would. I went to the airport with the clothes I had on me and got a one way ticket. They're like luggage. I was like, no, uh, one way. Uh, and I, I thought I would die on the plane. And I, I went to Vegas of all places and just we're going to Sin City to die. And with with I was smart enough to get the hotel room for like three or four nights upfront, pay for it, cash. I lost all my money the first night. You know, I called my mom, he busted. I was like, mom, you know, I think this is it. Uh, I think I'm gonna jump off this balcony. I mean, I'm completely suicidal. At that time I was living with a prostitute and then she came with a pimp. So now there's a pimp and a prostitute in my hotel room that I've paid for. And I'm oh detoxing gosh. and withdrawing. I don't have any more drugs. I'm shaking, I'm drinking. Uh, and through some miraculous events, you know, it's, it's funny how God works. What started with a brick would then be used by a brick. So three months earlier, I'm pulling into the stock market and there's a parking lot with 300 people in it. And a brick falls off the building and lands on my car. Oh my gosh, the, the guy, the general contractor i hunt him down and he i'm after him for 500 dollars for my deductible right and uh, i wanted it for drugs it's like i need that 500 i mean i'm arguing with this guy on the phone well wouldn't you know when i'm in vegas this guy uh my mom doesn't have money to get me home the guy knocks on my mom's door and hands her a check for 500 and my plane ticket home was 504 dollars.
0: oh my gosh And
1: my mom told me, son, you've tried everything in this world. You need God. And I remember hearing those words and saying, if there was a God, do you think he would let me live the way I'm living right now? Because I'm in hell. Mm. And I had absolutely no love for God, no belief in God, no hope. I just needed more money. And somehow if I can obtain enough, I can get out of this thing and maybe one day get my stuff together And uh, I had an interview at the bar of the Hard Rock Hotel. No, the Hooters Hotel. That's where I interviewed for Teen Challenge, was at the bar (laughs) drinking 10 cent beers on a cell phone is how I had my interview to go to Teen Challenge, which they lied to me because I was like, listen, I'm not a teenager. I was like giving them all my requests. Right, right. uh, They're like, no, no, it's team challenge, like football team. Yeah. (laughs) just look for the sign when you, you get out. really completely lied to me. And so I and I'm like why do you want to help me? Why is this free? Because Jesus loves you. Is this a cult? Like I'm yeah. totally think I'm going to David Koresh's cult and they're all going <laughs> to too late. We're all going to lie in bed and die together. That's what 100% I thought. Wow. So I get I get to the airport. I, I somehow make it home. I I get in the Teen Challenge van with a coffee cup full of alcohol. They have no idea that I Wow. I'm drinking the whole way. <laughs> I the guys like, "My gosh, you cuss a lot. Every other word is an f-bomb. I I don't even know how to talk without cussing like Wow. I had no idea of anything and I said, "Listen, man, you're going to have to take me to a hospital. I I can't detox. I'll die." And they're like, "No, yeah, we're already." So they they took me to the hospital. I would be medically detoxed there for a week. Uh, they had the wing wow. me off of the, the, the doctor came in and said, listen, kid, is there anything you don't take? By then, I was taking 30 Norco's a day, a couple Xanax to sleep, at least 24 beers a day and a half a bottle of Jack every single day How with cocaine. Uh in the
0: world I, did your stomach, system
1: would shut down. I would have catheters inside of me because the doctors would say that your muscles are getting so high, they can't contract. I couldn't even urinate as a 20-something year old because Mm -hmm. of how much toxins I was taking in my body. And that would happen multiple times. They would have to put a catheter in there. One time, two liters came out. Are you serious? Yeah, I guess you can hold four. So they're like, you're only halfway there. So uh, (laughs) I, I wish this was... False or or fiction, but this I, is just it. It was it was a journey. When when I tell you that I could not break addiction, uh, my addiction had taken on a, a toll that I never thought it would be, and uh, I would become an IV heroin user, using about three hundred to five hundred dollars a day. Of heroin, oh my gosh, pawning everything I've ever owned. Uh, I had a triathlon bike. Trying to do an Iron Man in one of these like windows of sobriety, pawn that. My friend, wow. uh, which is a cool story I'll get to later on, my friend would have to go and get it an out of pawn and all that. Um, but so I get to Teen Challenge after medically detoxing. I don't sleep for 17 days straight. After you detoxed? After I was medically detoxed, I was sleeping because they were giving me substances to sleep in the hospital and methadone to weed me down from the levels of opiates that I was taking everything else. And I was smoking cigarettes and fine. I left that hospital now, no cigarettes. Uh, I was two packs a day smoker. Now, no cigarettes and no substance for the first time in my life in probably over a decade.
0: Wow.
1: Sleeping with some type of narcotic, rather yeah. than prescription or illegal, something. And 17 days, I would not sleep. Everyone all night would be sleeping peacefully. And I'd have my light on and I began to read these books. So they hand me Cross in the Switchblade and I begin wow. to read this book. And I'm like, man, God could do it for this guy. I'm like, give me this guy's book. So it's Nikki Cruz. I was like, give me that book, Run Baby Run. I read that one. Then I'm like, what about this guy, Israel? Then I read, uh, his, his story is called second chance. And you read these early believers of this teen challenge movement. And this guy, David Wilkerson, who just went to the streets because God told him to throw out his TV right. and in these, these transformations. And I, I was like, this is too much for me. I left grabbed the bottle of vodka across streets and get me out of here. Did but, you really? Yeah. I was, I couldn't, couldn't take it anymore. I finally yeah. slept. And, and the directors of the program, now, this is probably not normal, but this is my normal. They went and found me in a blizzard with a bottle of vodka. And I remember crying and calling my grandfather and saying, you cannot die and you cannot see me like this. I promise I'm going to try. Wow. And then I went back to Teen Challenge. They, they brought me to their home for three days and said, you wow. I was like, I'm not going back to that center. Uh, you know, people raising their hands and worship, speaking in tongues. I was like, this is a cult. I didn't know. I didn't know one scripture. I thought John 316 was Steve Austin, the wrestler. Are you serious? that's serious. When they said oh. 316, I was like, oh, like Steve Austin, the wrestler. Because that's the only time I'd ever seen 316. Yeah. I didn't know a Bible scripture. I didn't wow. know one. I never heard the gospel. I mean, people would say you're going to hell. I'd be like, yeah, I'm already in hell. Thanks. So your
0: family wasn't religious at all? No, yeah. no.
1: No Catholicism we didn't, or anything. We didn't open a yeah, we were Catholic by name, but nobody paid attention. Yeah, we we grew up uh chasing the American dream, you know, good wow. family, good values, good morals. My grandfather's uncle was a Pentecostal preacher. And oh. he was like the crazy side of the family. They went to church for like three or four hours, Hispanic Pentecostal, stay away from them. They're <laughs> nuts about God. Like it's not that big of a deal. You know, we'll say a Hail Mary few few times a year, that's right. it. But these people like <laughs> this guy was a dentist and sold his practice to be a preacher. Wow. This, this guy's nuts. Wow. Yeah, he's not smart, crazy. Right. But he would come <laughs> pray for me. And I remember he prayed for me one time when I had a catheter and my eyes just started crying. And he's like, You're gonna be okay. Like the Lord told me you're gonna be okay. And and then through my mom reaching out to him for like spiritual help and all this that was the connection to teen challenge oh, so i wow. found myself you know in this program like a fish out of water but one thing happened when i shared that story about the directors taking me in they brought me to their home yeah and left me there like i could have robbed the place blind like they had that much faith that we're called to help you you don't even need wow. to go back to the center you can stay here wow and i was like you know what they got something that mm-hmm. I don't have, and I don't know what it is, but my life cannot get worse if I do this program.
0: Right. By then, I
1: was full of fear. I have done so many wrong things in Chicago, I couldn't even show my face in Chicago, I'd probably get killed. Um, and I didn't really have a whole lot of options. And I said, You know what? Let me give this a try. And within, you know, I got there in November, uh, within. You know, I left after two weeks, so this is mid-December. Within, like, a week or two, they take us to the International House of Prayer Conference. IHOP, not the Pancake House. <laughs> in <laughs> Kansas City, with these guys, Lou Engle, Mike Bickle, Misty Edwards, these, like, bigger-than-life characters. And I walk into a room of 40,000 people. The wow. ground is shaking. People are, like, falling out in the spare. I'm like, well, where's the drugs in this place? <laughs> how to be on drugs. And they give us all $40 for m- meals. I'm like, boom, buy a pack of cigarettes. I'm smoking. <laughs> like, you just, just give me money in a major city. Um, and something happens. I'm there for a couple of days. Some of the guys are like, you just very well be the antichrist. <laughs> he called you the and
0: antichrist. <laughs>
1: yeah. They, just nothing's clicking. But this last night, uh, A man by the name of Daniel Lim gets up there. He's their CFO. By far the least charismatic, uh, least understanding communicator of the entire conference. It it wasn't charisma. It wasn't an amazing message. He begins to read 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9 with a very strong accent, almost broken. Said they will be lovers of money. Boastful. Proud disobedient, the type of men who creep into women's bed loaded with sin. They will have a form of godliness, but deny its power. And I hit the guy next to me. I was like, there's no way that's in the Bible. And this one of these teen challenge perky. Yes, it is brother. And he opens the Bible and and shows it to me. And I read these scriptures and all I can tell you is in that moment, nothing mattered. Uh, Not my mom, who I thought was my greatest pride and joy, not my life not the problems it it clicked. It said, there is a God and I'm not okay with them because this book was written 2,500 years ago. And it's talking about me to the T. It was like my mail was red. Every sin in there. I had all, not some all, because I thought I had a form of godliness because I was Catholic by name It said, only God can judge me tattooed on me. I mean, I, I believed in a God to my convenience. Um, and there was an altar call. And I remember being confused. Nobody told me how to get saved. Nobody walked me through a prayer. All I did was go to the altar and weep. and Wow. Weep and weep. Over and over and over. December 30th, 2010. And, and then later on, you know, one of the staff members walked me through the sinner's prayer. But I gave my life to Jesus that day and everything changed. I mean, I can't tell you what happened that day other than I know My life was radically touched by the power of God. And the next night, December 31st, 2010, I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Wow. And I'm telling you, we went to like a class training for it. And a few people got baptized in the Holy Spirit and nothing happened to me. And I remember going into worship. Jay Thomas was going, this is right before New Year's. I said, God, look at all I've been through. I don't even know if I believe this. I need power to be able to live for you. Boom, the Holy Spirit came upon me. I began to speak in another language. I collapsed. I mean, I was shaking violently, collapsed because this goes against any doctrinal belief that I would ever have in my life. I was kind of made, that's what kind of really turned me off in the little month that I was at Teen Challenge was this tongue thing. I thought it was demonic and crazy. (laughs) And I think in that moment, God just said, like, I gotta show this kid I'm real because he he, without this, he's not gonna make it. And that's just my story. And in that moment, I was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And mm. no one on earth can ever tell me that God's not real. No one. From that moment on, no one on earth can take away that moment because that was my moment. Salvation. And it was nothing
0: you were making up. You weren't on drugs. This wasn't something you would even choose to make up. This no. was This was not something you would manufacture. Not no. this strong, tough,
1: you know, guy, no emotions tied to this. I'm telling you that fire hit my belly and out of my mouth came rivers of living water that I could not contain. So for the first time in my life, I had a physical, radical Mm. encounter with this man named Jesus. The the salvation I probably could have talked myself out of. This I could not. Something happened in that moment that mm. no one can tell me. I was overtaken by the spirit of God. Wow. <laughs> and nothing can ever change that again. Right. Like, yes, I believed with my head. I confessed with my mouth. I believed in my heart. All yeah. of that happened the day before. But this was an <sighs> empowerment that I can never reoccur again. Mm. I've had great encounters with God, but nothing like the first. Mm. <laughs> There's been refreshing and redwelling yeah. And my my prayer language has grown in the spirit, and I've had amazing encounters with God. But that first one collapsed me because wow. I did not think it was real. <laughs> wow! So that that was special, and 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 my life would be forever changed in that moment. The trajectory of my life changed forever. Wow! It was it, it, it very early on. God told me you're going to be an evangelist. Wow. You, you, I mean, confirmed and prophesied over. I mean, I'd end up in a church. People would call me out of the crowd. People come up to me and say, you have an anointing on your life. It was very evident before I received salvation that I was going to travel the world and share the good news of Jesus Christ. I And I didn't want it. I was like, I don't want this. I don't want, I don't want to do this. Yeah. I, I want to be rich. I yeah. don't want it. Oh, and and then I thought that working for the Lord meant being poor. You know, I looked at everyone at Team Challenge, they were making like $50 a week. I didn't wow. see anyone very happy. <laughs> yeah, just, right. You know, I didn't see a lot of like, I just came out of this stock market life. So what I would do is I would run. Mm. I would take the Lord and I would be on a pink cloud. And I, oh my God, I'd see Jesus everywhere. Jesus, Jesus, clouds, Jesus, trees, Jesus, shoelaces, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. And I would come off of that cloud and I would graduate. And then uh, you know, that was clear as day the Lord was calling me to an internship. I took it, but I I wanted I wanted what I wanted still. Mm. And I would, I would a uh, leave the internship and pursue the things of this world. Mm. And I would build my kingdom again just to watch it fall. Mm. I would become a businessman, I would even start a side business, tie the team challenge. I would come in with these big checks, tithing to Teen Challenge, like all in the name of me. <laughs> and so would... you
0: graduated Teen Challenge. You knew the Lord was calling you to ministry to be an evangelist, but yeah. you said, "No, yeah. I'm gonna, what? I'm gonna pursue business as a Christian." Now that yeah. I'm,
1: yeah, yeah, I just want to. And... I want to be an attender of church. I want to be a tither, you know. And then all my uh, mentors were businessmen. Because I came out of this, sure. you know, I would share my testimony and in that time, not so much the trauma from the violence, sure. but really the, I was a lover of money and the sure. stock market and all this. And that was the big, because I just come out of it. Sure, It took sure. me a lot of years to unpack, whoa, this addiction probably started from fear. Yeah. Fear has been the root. Fear is of the enemy. Right. Fear is not of God. It's the opposite of faith. And all of this, that the enemy would take this child at a very young age and say, he's got a call of God on his life. I'm going to torment him Mm -hmm. until he finds out what he really is made of. And when he finds God, I can't have access to him anymore. So it's taken a long time. And it took that falling, which that was fear of what others would think, Mm -hmm. fear of not being successful, fear of the Lord not having as good of a plan for me as I have a plan for me and all these things. And I would find myself returning all the way But worse. See what I shared about the heroin. I never in my life did heroin until after I was born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, set free, clean for two years, and then the darkest relapse of my entire life for 12 months. Wow. When you clean out a room, it is coming back with seven more demons than it ever had before.
0: It was worse than it had ever been, worse
1: than it would ever be on earth. It was like being in a prison and not having to be there. I would end up an IV heroin user. I would end up contracting uh, hepatitis C. I would end up homeless, living at a homeless shelter, literally the prodigal son. I'm saved. I had my Bible and I would speak in tongues waiting for the dope man because I knew no other way than to find peace from the Lord, but I was bound completely wow. bound by the choices that I would make
0: wow. and
1: um a, a mentor of mine on the treadmill heard the words you need to go get my son he's gonna die if you don't get him oh my And I, I was walking down the street in Indianapolis and I just happened to be walking by the homeless shelter rehab part that I got kicked out like three weeks earlier and the guy bangs on the door and says you're Alex so, yeah, he's like, someone just called for you. You need to call them right now. What? They give me a phone number. I, I had sold my phone for drugs. I had about $150 worth of heroin on my pocket. And uh, I just dialed the number and it's my mentor. And he said, where are you? He said, the Lord told me, if you don't come get me, you're gonna die. I said, if you don't come get me, I will surely die. Oh. And I was high enough within two and a half hours, a vehicle was sent. And they picked me up. And they promised me that they would give me methadone in uh, when we got to Indiana and that I could detox with methadone. It was a Friday. So the clinics are closed or Thursday and we go straight to the hospital. Same thing, catheter, can't urinate, liquids come up. Ugh. They throw me in a hotel cause the, the rehab is full, Teen Challenge is full. And then the homeless shelter is even full and the homeless shelter had a policy. You can't be there intoxicated. They paid for me for a week in that hotel. Well, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm drying out. I I still had drugs. I shot up in the hotel room. Well, then Sunday comes and they're like, hey, we're not giving you methadone. And I lost it. Toe to toe, nose to nose, screaming profanities at my mentor. Uh, Just Un, almost fighting. And he left, called me every name in the book, slammed the door. And he'd come back crying, the Lord won't let me leave. He won't mm-hmm. let me leave. And that night I wrestled with God all night. And uh, the next morning he bangs on the door and he's got like this whole sermon prepared for me. And I said, stop. And the spirit of God just hit me. I hit my knees and I bowed down to God. I said, God, you loved me. Now, mind you, when I was clean, I was speaking in front of churches of five thousand. Wow! Watching, watching porn at night, and uh, you know, sleeping with my girlfriend, and and but like the Lord's still using me in a mighty way. Yeah. And when I bowed my knee, I said, "God, you loved me just as much on that stage as you did in the gutter." Yeah. And I said, "I give you my life." Wow. right here, Right now, not not salvation. I give you my life. Wow. Right now take it and that was february 20th of 2014 and i have never touched a drug again in my life wow in that moment i surrendered my will
0: i Mm. said i'm no
1: longer in control i haven't been perfect since then but i have been delivered since then and and i said i will work for you all the days of my life and i had the most rapid they would drug test me every day at this homeless shelter. Cause they said, there's no way I would be happy within <laughs> within 72 hours. I'm running five K's and I'm Are you serious. Oh yeah. Dead serious. I was running 10 miles within three weeks of literally oh a needle out of my arm for a year of just killing myself. I had like a five day detox recovery. They're drug testing me. There's like, and then one of the drug tests was like false positive. Like we got you. Like, I didn't do it. I had a I had a lawsuit for someone who re ended me. I got deposited nine thousand dollars two weeks after being clean. Didn't relapse.
0: I wow. had to
1: at this homeless shelter for thirty days, so a bed didn't open up in Teen Challenge till March twentieth wow March twentieth, the bed would open with ephesians 320 which is one of my favorite verses in the bible now to him is able to do abundantly more than we can ask think yes. or imagine, according to the power that's yes. with him uh that march 20th i would go back to team challenge they were just waiting for like something to happen like what's up with this guy i got in there i said i'm here about the lord's business mm-hmm. i'm here i'm sold out to jesus and within like three months i finished the restoration they made me an intern And God started speaking in my heart. He said, you're going to Los Angeles. You're going to Los Angeles. You're going. I would see LA everywhere. Everybody thought I was nuts. Completely nuts. I would be like, I'm going surfing. I'm going to LA. I'm going to LA. Absolutely thought I was mad. They're like, listen, kid, you're in Elkhart, Indiana. You couldn't be. Farther from Los Angeles, I didn't know a soul in Los Angeles. I didn't have a family member, not a cousin, no one. God said, You're going to Los Angeles. And then, and then I went to Chicago Tabernacle where I visited my mom and we go to church there. And I heard the most powerful message on Go. Mm -hmm. It was clear as day. Alton Garrison of the Assemblies of Mm -hmm. God happened to be visiting there and he preached the daylights out of Deuteronomy 6 1. You can't stay at this mountain anymore. This is the holy mountain where they received it was like God saying you're going every hair on my body stood up all I knew is I was going Wow! and I answer the phone one day a teen challenge and it's this woman her name's LaVon Savage I'll never forget it and she's asking all these questions about a women's center and the Holy Spirit whispered me said ask her where she's calling from and I said where are you calling from and she's like oh I'm calling from Los Angeles no way what (laughs) And I said, where in Los Angeles? He said, oh, TCMI, the Teen Challenge Ministry Institute. Never heard about it a day in my life. And I was like, that's where I'm going. Clear as day. I start putting my application. I send it. At first, I got denied. It was crazy. A guy with the last name Delgado said, you will never come to California because I was on probation. And I, and I felt like God was saying, the only one that can stop the plans is you. And I was persistent and persistent. It's funny you say perseverance. I called one day and this Delgado guy happens to be on vacation and his boss said, let me look at this file. What do you mean he won't let you come? He's like, you're approved. Go pack tomorrow. No way. So I didn't go in December. However, I go in March and the semester starts on March 20th, 320 Ephesians. Wow. And he was able... And I begin my journey in TCMI of March. And what's interesting about all of this timing is that there's another girl in Fresno who's losing her mind at that time and going through addiction and her family's just deemed her hopeless and her whole story is unveiling and she's a mother to a son and completely almost died. She did die and the the they, they revived her. The first Narcan didn't work and a Christian ambulance guy said, give her another shot. And Christian yeah. music was playing in the ambulance. They gave her another shot and she would live again after being dead. And this girl, and because of the timing and me doing the restoration in San Diego and all of this coming together, I would meet my wife oh, in March wow. again or in April. Of 2016 under a tent, wow. uh, where where we are praising God together, and both of my hands are in the air, and I am not thinking about a woman. Someone had prophesied that you will be running after God with everything, and you will look left, and there will be your wife. Mm. And I'm worshiping, and this hand keeps touching me, and my now sister-in-law hip checked her into me, <laughs> and I turned, and I saw my wife, and I was like, Oh my gosh. But she was in her program and I was at the Bible college and I just began to pray for her every day. And I and then I went through the Bible college and in the middle of the Bible college, some guy gets drunk and uh, they kick him out of the school. And two weeks from there, he was supposed to go on a mission trip to uh, um, Dominican Republic. And I was like, uh, well, I got a passport. <laughs> and they're like, hey, you I'll got his place. You, you wanna go? <laughs> and i end up on this mission trip to the dominican republic only because this guy got drunk and uh never in my life did i think of youth ministry i was called to be an evangelist i was gonna go change the world next billy graham all these crazy things and this happens to be a youth evangelism trip and like 300 kids get saved on this trip wow All I did was make fun of kids in Spanish and share my testimony. I didn't really consider it ministry. It was more like just being in high school. It was just like fun. As most
0: youth pastors are just, just big high school kids. Right.
1: Right. So I get back from that trip within a week, that youth pastor goes on sabbatical and gets let go and I walk into this church and they have my name on a plaque on a door says Alex Delgado. No way. Director. I get handed business cards. I'm still at the Bible college. Only no half way. God, and I am the interim youth pastor of Lakewood uh, Life, New Life Assembly in Lakewood, California. I had never been in a youth group in my life.
0: Wow. The first
1: time I walked into a youth group on a Wednesday night was as the pastor. I had to learn how to fly the plane in the air and little (laughs) did I know that the next six and a half years of my life would be spent in youth ministry and that the Lord would use youth ministry to really show me a pastor's heart Hmm. to really show me if, if you are going to be an evangelist, you have to know the church, (laughs) yes, you have to know a pastor, you have to know everything that's done behind the scenes to break me down in ways I never thought could be to see miracles. I mean, at one point we had one of the fastest growing youth groups in the nation. That's incredible. Just, just, we saw miracles and then it was youth ministry that would send me to Fresno, which then I would marry my wife who's from Fresno. And now we have those four children that you talked about. And my whole life radically flipped, turned upside down for the gospel. Wow. um, In a way that I never would have thought on earth. And I always thought I was going to, Los Angeles. I still think I'm going there. every day, And God has me in Fresno. At Fresno, 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 Fresno. I'll probably die here. I'm like Paul trying to get to Rome, but it, it's like, this is where God has us, but we've seen so many miracles here. And then I walk in after we transition from one search to another, I was trying to call this college S-U-M from L.A., I'm trying to call Cornerstone Church. What's this SUM? What's this SUM? They they were in transition there, and they never called me back. So I end up at this other church. Forgot all about SUM. I get my credentials as a pastor with the Assemblies of God. I get certified. I get licensed, and then uh, you know, and then I'm pursuing ordination. And I arrive on the doors of Cornerstone, and they're within two months of being there. They're like, "Hey, you're going to Mardi Gras." Uh, you you know, we got this college here. And I heard the Lord say, you can't lead where you've never been. And uh, I was going to ask kids to embark on this journey of college. I was going to ask kids to do this. I never want to be in college in my life. <laughs> like, that's, it couldn't be further from the truth. I just didn't. That wasn't my plans. But going to Cornerstone, I was, this is what you're supposed to do. I just, it, it was clear as day. So I would uh, go on my first as a a visionary leader and they're treating me with perks and I'm going to all these fancy restaurants (laughs) on Mardi Gras Street. Little I know I was being baited because the next year was (laughs) so fabulous and I surely wasn't in these glamorous rooms with these amazing men of God and all that ever again. But that was my first experience and then the next year I would go and and I, as a student, and then I would uh, pursue ministry at SUM. And I cannot tell you the God connections that SUM has made for me. Mm. Little that I know the obedience of just can't leading where you never been has right. opened more avenues for me to share the, the God. next week. I'm sharing uh, in front of 3000 youth in NorCal for their wow. youth conference. That's Are you speaking that's at your, the conference? Yeah, I'm the I'm the Friday night speaker. I didn't know that. Oh, that's New awesome. Conference. And that's only because I meet this guy, Pat, over beignets in, in Mardi Gras. We become friends. He asked me to go speak at a conference in Napa for the last like four years, I think. And then uh. I get called in because somebody had COVID <laughs> to go speak <laughs> at this called conference up in Lake Tahoe. And Pastor Char, the Lord told her, hey, he's supposed to speak. And she actually stepped down. She was supposed to speak.
0: And just
1: all these dots. I'm I'm sharing all this because if there's a listener out there Hmm. that you can't see it, good. (laughs) Because you have no idea what God is going to do. I can't begin to fathom what the Lord is going to do next. Right Right now, we we step down because I have my own youth ministry at home. We transition. (laughs) That's right. From being youth pastors, because honestly, the pace we could not keep the pace and the demands, knowing what it takes to build youth ministry of our size, I couldn't right. keep up with that. And it was better to pass the baton than mm. to uh, lose my family. On the right. Route. Absolutely. So, transition. And we've been in this season of rest with Teen Challenge, where we're the directors of strategic initiatives and evangelism. And I don't know how long this season's going to last or not last, but. What I know is that God has taken us on a beautiful, wild, crazy journey. And now I'm on your podcast. I I just can't (laughs) believe every day is just, or Mike Riley's podcast, or, you know, every day I just wake up, I go speak at Bible college. And I I just say that for the listener is like, I'm really the last guy on earth that you would ever Mm. think to do any of this. I, I I wasn't groomed for this. I surely yeah. didn't have a calling early on. I mean, I, the Lord knew, but he's used all my giftings throughout all the pain and given it purpose and stuff like that. But I couldn't speak at an AA meeting without dripping in sweat, having a panic attack. Wow. Now I can get up in front of thousands because it's not my plan. It's his, right. it's not my words, it's his. And uh, it's just been a journey of watching the Lord just get all the glory because i can't take any credit like it's gone way past the amount of well i think i could have maybe pulled this off there's no way there's no way so well and i
0: love that that at i think it was the you shared that the first time um your relapse after you uh after you got saved that um the struggle to trust the lord for your life that i think that speaks to everybody doesn't matter where we're at the idea that the lord really does have better for us and that if we just trust him and we just follow in obedience the things that even though they seem hard we don't know the may not know what the future holds rather than trying to hold on to it and make it happen letting god have control and it is amazing how he has brought you from such pain and darkness just by surrendering yeah. to him i mean there there is no way that you could have brought yourself out of your situation you couldn't have no you chance. couldn't have he has brought you out and made your life your family your wife your kids something beautiful Uh, out of, out of just such darkness, there was something, was there, um, I think there was something that you shared. I'm trying to remember if it had to do with your uncle, um, and the family name, was that, was that anything significant kind of bringing it around, um, that does he contact you or is there something more to that story?
1: So the greatest part of my testimony is that my whole family has been saved.
0: Oh, wow. My
1: whole family has been born again. They, they, My grandfather, before he died, said if he could change, God's wow. real. I was in a service sharing my story and my grandfather rededicated or gave his life to Jesus Christ. And at the end of his life, he was a believer. He's in wow. Family. My grandmother, born again, baptized in the Holy Ghost. My mom, born again. This cousin, Alex, would end up getting out of prison and smoking crack. And the whole family gathered around and said, hey, there's another Alex now. And he went through this program Teen Challenge and he got saved and he got set free. And within 72 hours, that Alex who brought me to this country was on a plane and would go to San Diego Teen Challenge and graduate Teen Challenge and go to TCMI and graduate TCMI and work for Teen Challenge. Now he owns his own trucking business, traveling across the United States born wow. again, set free by the power of wow. God. So what started with him bringing me to this country ended with me wow. bringing him to an eternal, you know, the Lord using me yes. to bring him an eternal yes. hope. And then the family just getting radically saved because they mm. saw you can teach theology all you want. Nobody can argue a transformed life. That's I right. was dead. I was dead. I was mm. bound. Anybody who saw me, I was, I was, my eyes had no white in them, dark, pale, wow. ready for death, looked wow. like death was around the corner and the Lord radically changed all that. And, you know, it, and it's nine years later. And like you said something to me, one of my next endeavors is I feel released in 2023 to start the book. You yes. Know, and good. I, Lord told me when you're 10 years clean, you, you can do a book. I, I didn't want good. to get too ahead of him, but it's going to take me a year to get that going. So next year, oh. i start writing a book about this because yes. if, if it just helps one person, it was that's worth right. It. I was the one person that did help. So, right. uh, you know, that that's the best part of my story is that you never know what your yes will do for somebody else. That's I had, right. I went the Teen Challenge to survive. I didn't think my whole family was going to get saved. I didn't think my wow. cousin was going to save his life. I didn't wow. think that I would walk into high schools now and kids would get saved at lunch. And mm-hmm. all the lives that have been touched and saved, I didn't know what my yes meant. Wow. Uh, and, and I don't think we will ever until we get to heaven. Mm-hmm. We still don't know the magnitude. Right.
0: Alex, your story is just so... So incredible. So beautiful. I'm so glad you're starting that, that book. I, you're, it just is amazing what God, what God can do with our lives if we let him and that nobody is beyond the redemptive power. And I mean, I just cannot fathom what you did to your body with all of that stuff. And yet you're doing, you did two Ironmans. Like I just, six <laughs> you know it's it's it's, one in april
1: one in october
0: (laughs) god has that power to redeem and restore and your soul your soul formation through all of this is it's just a beautiful beautiful picture i'm so grateful would you would you just pray a prayer over everybody who hears this that in whatever way that god needs to speak to them that that he would, uh, can you just kind yeah. of close this out with that prayer?
1: And, and I'll add that I never could have done this alone. Mm. There was so many people God sent me along the way, even the Ironman journey, uh, yeah. I'm a preacher, so I got to close three times. But <laughs> my mentor who got my bike out of pawn, we crossed the finish line together. And wow, he ran that race too. And, wow. and he was the one that I met when I was down and out and on the TV comes the Ironman world championships. I was 250 pounds in suicidal sitting in North central Indiana team challenge when I couldn't sleep and the oh Ironman championship. That's why the dream I have of Kona, it was that that inspired me. And then I started to run a couple miles or no, a couple yards, couldn't <laughs> even run half a mile. And, uh, I started to sleep. Mm-hmm. So that's where the journey began. And then I went to this church and met this man who's an Iron Man. And he's my mentor wow. to this day. His name's Greg Miller. So uh, if you're out there, get connected to a body. Because it's yes. the body yes. of Christ that saved my life. It's the yes. church. Jesus wow. said uh, upon that revelation, he will build his church. That he is Lord right. and his can be forgiven. And that's what helped me, uh, mm-hmm. is men and women of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. God, I just honored that this is your story. At the end of the day, it's got nothing to do with me. You chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, and I mean that truly. I know that I am foolish, God, <laughs> and I know that you shame some pretty brilliant minds with my life. So, Father, I thank you that you're going to do that with some others on this call. Somebody who's watching this with tears running on their face, sitting at a table thinking that that is the end, or maybe they're hiding behind an education or hiding behind accolades or hiding behind what they can do for you, which means nothing compared to what you want to do in and through them. Father, I pray that you touch hearts. You touch those that feel like they have to smile all the time, that you just soften them, God, and that when we are weak, we are strong, God. So, Father, I pray for those listening, God, that they would have a radical encounter with you, that they would not feel alone, that they could confess whatever they need to confess, that they can be authentic with you, that they can get authentic with the believers, God, that we could run this race that's been marked out for us together, God. Father, for the students at SUM that can seem overwhelmed by the the work of the Lord, that they would not forget the Lord of the work, Father, that at the end of the day, it's you that have called us, that have chosen us, that have set us apart, God. You will give us grace for the pace, God. Thank you for that grace, God. I pray peace over those watching, God. I pray for anyone who needs to rededicate their life, God. Someone that needs that true, authentic salvation moment, that you would meet them right now, God. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Amen, Alex. Such an honor to have you on. Thank you so much for giving your time and sharing your story. I know that this has and will continue to touch people, as you've said. That you can't argue with a transformed life, a transformed story. And our stories are so powerful. It's one of the reasons why this podcast is so important to me. Our, Our stories stories of our soul soul's journey is so crucial thank you for being on i appreciate it and thanks to all of you for listening to this episode episode 16 of the nefesh podcast if you'd love to uh, talk with alex more uh, just email me the nefesh podcast at gmail.com i'll send your send your info on to, to Alex. I'm sure he'd love to, to connect or pray with you, but would love to, love to connect with you in your, in your journey and, uh, be, be here to listen or talk or, or walk you through that. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you next time.